Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble star, punkin' instigator. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Underground. When events occur, such as the one that occurred yesterday, everyone with a platform and a book to sell gets on social media or whatever platform they have and they put their opinions out there. So whenever an event happens, we really don't like to talk about it immediately afterwards simply because we don't want to look like just another loon on the internet with an opinion. But since we've gotten a couple of hundred DMs asking for our thoughts on things, we thought it was our duty to answer, and since this is kind of a time-sensitive thing, we thought we'd push it out as quickly as possible once again. So today we're going to talk about the events of yesterday and provide our thoughts, which hopefully will be thought-provoking for some. Anytime we provide our opinion on something, it's certainly not to solidify our viewer base, it's also not to anger any group or person or people. It's not to be edgy or anything like that. It's really to just to encourage people to think, you know, hey, I didn't think of that. And lately, sharing our opinion has let a few people out there know that they are not alone in their thinking. So that's a plus as well. So without further ado, let's go over the events of the day in summary format. Early in the morning yesterday, January 6, 2021, protesters, mostly conservative, uh, arrived and began staging in the vicinity of the National Mall. Uh, demonstrations began really in earnest around midday, uh, with most people showing up around then, uh, and they turned really sort of destructive slash violent around 1400 when demonstrators massed outside of the U.S. Capitol. At around that time, hundreds of demonstrators became rioters and physically began assaulting law enforcement as well as breaking glass windows and the doors into the Capitol building. At this time, the Vice President of the United States was located in the Senate chambers and, along with Senate and House members, was evacuated via underground tunnels to a safe location, which is most likely the White House. The members of Congress that weren't quite important enough to warrant an emergency egress were urged to put on uh, emergency egress gas masks, which were pre-staged under their seats, and shelter in place. These members were evacuated after the senior politicians and the Vice President. At approximately 1500, the U.S. Capitol exterior was breached, and demonstrators as well as violent rioters entered into the U.S. Capitol. The doors to the Senate and the House were barricaded by security, Secret Service agents, uh, Capitol Police, and various law enforcement groups, and they were barricaded just long enough to facilitate the egress of the remaining politicians, but these doors were soon breached by rioters slash demonstrators who were tagging along. The Senate was breached first, and congressional offices were soon raided. Uh, the House, having more people, held out longer as agents with uh, guns drawn held the door. During this defensive action, a woman was shot in the neck as she attempted to breach the door. Her condition was unknown throughout most of the day, but later it became known that she did in fact succumb to her wounds. As of 1600, FBI HRT assets were on scene and other federal groups were able to uh, begin sweeping the Capitol and begin to retake it, mostly securing the perimeter uh, with a loose security uh, around 1600, um, but they actually formally declared that it was uh, uh, secured as of 1745 local. After it was secure, Congress actually reconvened in the Capitol building and certified the election results in favor of Joe Biden with the support of Mike Pence. 
So right now, all over the nation, people are doing mental gymnastics to either condemn or support the actions of the people yesterday, specifically as it pertains to the Congress building being raided. A lot of people are taking a lot of different positions on exactly what happened throughout the day. Some people support it, calling it liberty. Some people decry it, calling it terrorism. Some people flip-flopped, first supporting it, but then denouncing it later. Uh, some people were the dedicated hypocrisy police and are trying to find and point out that people have been wanting this for a while, and now that it's here, people don't like it. Some people are looking for a way to contort their opinion in such a way that it doesn't conflict with what they have already said. Some people are saying that it's complicated and more information is needed before making a judgment call. Other people who have been talking about the Tree of Liberty growing thirsty or other buzzwords are now saying, well, that's not what we meant. Other people have been saying, I told you so, and others have been all too quick to gloat about this while not actually providing any solutions as to help get us out of this mess other than vaguely quoting Thomas Paine. Other people are asking, well, are you going to condemn this storming of the Capitol? Are you? Hmm? Hmm? Are you? You condemned XYZ months ago, so what about now? This event is exactly the same. And a lot of people are simply upset that the U.S. Capitol got busted up pretty badly, which taxpayers will not have to pay for. Very few people are not taking a side or forming an opinion, which is fine, but it's interesting to note. And even fewer people don't know what to think, which is more or less what our opinion is right now. So if you're looking for a short soundbite of what we think, you're really not going to get it. What we can be somewhat sure of is that what we saw at the Capitol yesterday was vexing, to be certain. We can, of course, generally say that violence should always be a last resort, and we believe that. And, you know, even then, the use of violence is not something to be glorified or cheered on, right? But something that should be viewed as truly unfortunate. And we saw a whole lot of people cheering on what was going on yesterday, which I guess people have the right to do, but we were certainly not joyful at all with what happened yesterday. So there's that, you know, seeing people cheering, you know, on all sides, really, for what happened yesterday and what that meant for America. Well, that was really in poor taste, we think. And one of the things we are not going to do is conduct mental gymnastics to get around the idea of what else... Are we the people supposed to do when our government oppresses us, our representatives no longer represent us, and our courts won't hear our complaints? What exactly are we the people left with? Our founding documents were quite clear on this matter, but putting those ideas into place is a lot easier said than done. Also, we have been conditioned to speak in hushed tones about what our founding documents say about things like tyranny and oppression and persecution. We have been conditioned to treat the statements in our original founding documents as crimes. Let me say that one more time. We have been conditioned to treat the statements in our original founding documents as crimes. We have been taught to never talk about that because it happened a long time ago, and people nowadays with their iPhones and Netflix cannot imagine what a total war in one's homeland would even look like. Humanity has had a time of relative peace, and we have forgotten that conflict is in fact the norm. Now here's the deal. We do not have the time to wax poetically about the philosophy of government or of governance itself. We do not have the time nor even the capability to really do anything but put out our content to people that may be useful.
content in a sea of content. But one specific event that took place yesterday was truly and utterly terrifying for us here. And it all revolves around the concept that if there ever were to be a military coup in the United States, the actions taken by those people that surrounded the commander-in-chief were exactly what that would look like. That is a real danger, and it may not be what most people are concerned about, but it sure as hell scared us big time. For a period of time, we, the American people, did not know if the commander-in-chief was dead or alive. We did not know, and still cannot be totally sure of, who is the commander-in-chief. Think about it. During the time that the Vice President, SecDef, and Joint Chiefs were in de facto command of the military, what were to happen if Russia or China launched missiles? Who would be in command? Since this barrier has been broken, every single officer in the United States military should be asking themselves a question that has been asked many, many decades ago. How do I know that the order I was given actually came from a legitimate, lawful military authority? We had someone who is not the commander-in-chief, who had zero authorization activating armed, active-duty soldiers and deploying them to seize control of the U.S. Capitol, while the actual commander-in-chief was cut off to the outside world. This is a textbook military coup, and we are shocked that more military officers are either not seeing this, don't want to see it, or are at least not talking about it in, a, in an academic setting. So please, we are definitely asking anyone to please help us figure out ways that this action isn't military coup-esque material and that our concerns are unfounded. Please help us with this because all of us around here are asking the same question. How do we know if orders from higher command are lawful? How do we know that the commander-in-chief is actually the commander-in-chief and not a secret service agent or a general who took him out of the equation and is impersonating him? This is a question that goes back as far as JFK, and since he posed the question, the defense industry and the military hasn't really had a super solid answer to this. Now, there are ways to authenticate things and make sure message traffic is authentic and things like that. There are ways to do that, right? This is not something that's totally new. It's a concept that's been around, like I said, for decades now. But here's the deal. Yesterday, we as freaking intelligence analysts we're not entirely sold on who was in charge of the military. And that's the first time this has happened for us. This is not something um, that we've dealt ever dealt with before. And since that's the case, we have to wonder, what were other nations thinking as well? Look, we all here, even when Trump was elected, we were operating under the impression that Trump is probably going to fight tooth and nail not to leave if he ever were to lose re-election. We were thinking this in 2016. But here's the morbidly ironic part. This banana republic stuff is not coming from the president of the United States. It's coming from politicians, military leadership, private companies, and even the vice president. That part, we honestly never guessed would happen. We did not think that we would have a situation that is, if it's not a technical military coup, it's reminiscent of one for a two-week period before Inauguration Day. And as far as the paperwork goes, it does not matter if the DOD can come up with some flappy excuse that what they did by deploying troops in D.C. was technically legal, like they did on Twitter. 
What it looks like is the DoD is committing a military coup, or is at least complicit in it, while propping up POTUS and saying everything is okay, weakened at Bernie's style. I mean, what the heck, you know? This is, this is unprecedented. And also, to sort of address another thought, it, it doesn't really matter if our Constitution allows for the 25th Amendment to get rid of the president. At least half of the American people think that invoking that amendment would be unlawful. While Congress itself might think that the 25th Amendment is justified, at least half of the nation, the people of this country, think that it is not. And if our Congress is the people, and the people are Congress, then would that not make it unlawful to invoke the 25th Amendment? So even if they did so, would that not be an unlawful act by Congress? Somebody sent us a message that this whole thing was very <laughs> reminiscent of like uh, the plot to the movie Crimson Tide. And right now, it sure, it sure sounds about right. So what about the future? What do we do now? Well, as most of you already know, we jump through hoops ourselves a lot of times in order to not make things out as bad as we think they are. For most of the stuff we cover, it is impossible to convey a sense of urgency without being just as you know negative as heck. I mean, this sells content better than anything, uh, but we hate to be lumped into the same category as those who are claiming that the world is ending, right? And on the other hand, we refuse to lay down and say that everything's all right. So here's what we think we should all be concerned with in the next, say, two weeks to a month. First one is not having a military chain of command. As we mentioned before, this is one of the most serious things that can happen to a country over history. And right now, from our perspective, we have never been closer to an actual military coup in our lifetimes. Like it or not, Donald J. Trump is still the commander-in-chief of the United States Armed Forces until January 20th. We're not talking about jumping the gun a few hours early and moving some tanks around in a surplus lot before the technical inauguration occurs. We're talking a couple of weeks where no one on earth, not any American, nor any missileer in a silo in Kansas, or a commander of a ballistic missile submarine, can be 100% certain who is really in charge. Now, I'm sure in the coming days, the Pentagon, the SecDef, and the Vice President, and Congress, and whoever, will probably find some ancient defense plan paperwork that proves that they technically have the ability to do what they've done, as I think they already have done on Twitter. But here's the thing. We aren't buying it. We are sure that they might technically have the right to do what they've done when it comes to troop activations. But you cannot shake the feeling that a military coup literally took place. After all, the very first thing that Colonel von Stauffenberg did in the July 20 plot was produce documents that made everything he did legitimate. Now, of course, Colonel von Stauffenberg and his people were the good guys in this historical example, but what we saw yesterday, regardless of what paperwork they drum up, was a mini-military coup. The communications of the commander-in-chief have been cut off. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitch, YouTube, all primary methods the commander-in-chief uses to communicate with the entirety of the world have been shut off. The vice president is commanding the activation of active-duty armed troops on U.S. soil, and the SecDef and Joint Chiefs are actively complicit in this all without the commander-in-chief formally blessing off on this, or at least publicly blessing off on this. 
We are not seeing policing action. We are not seeing the restoring of order. We are seeing active duty military leadership take tactical control of key terrain, which just so happens to be control of the building that we the people own. Since the die of doubt has been cast, and due to that fact alone, we right now should be just as nervous about the prospect of global thermonuclear war as we ever have been. Speaking strategically, Russia, China, North Korea, and all of our other nuclear adversaries, if they were to launch a nuclear first strike, if they were to do that, they would absolutely do it at the moment when it isn't clear who the commander-in-chief is. And therefore, a retaliatory strike might not take place immediately, and since it can't take place immediately, it might not happen at all. So right now, the next two weeks will be our generation's Cuban Missile Crisis, but very few people are going to take notice of how serious this is. Next up, the inability of most governments to keep the peace, not just from rioters, but from national security threats. If they can't keep unarmed civilians out of the capital, then they certainly can't prevent another 9-11 from occurring. There were two pipe bombs primed and ready to detonate at political targets yesterday, which everybody seems to forget. And no one has made the connection of, what if the guy who made it into Nancy Pelosi's office had a pipe bomb? A freaking bomb going off in the U.S. Capitol building would be an unprecedented event. Heck, people making it into the Capitol itself is an unprecedented event. But how would it look to other nations if the United States Capitol was bombed from the inside, even with a small device? And how would it look to the American people who aren't physically there? and who can only see what's going on through the eyes of mainstream media and what their government tells them. How would they feel? Number three is banning anything that takes power away from the party. We've talked about this at great length before, so check out our other podcasts for specifically what kind of gear and knowledge is likely to be banned immediately upon Biden taking power. Obviously, guns and free speech will be the first things to go, which will be outright banned by both federal agencies and private corporations. But other items such as body armor and night vision will also outright be banned as well. Anything, any technical gear, any physical object, or any idea, any knowledge, any book that takes power away from the federal government will be outright banned or regulated so that it's hard to get. Number four is terror attacks. Much like the bombing that has already happened, we will likely see bombings, shootings, and other style of attacks take place that have no immediately clear motive or allegiance to any group. In any case, right now, if the government, media, law enforcement, or even your neighbor Bob were to tell you that a mass shooting occurred and the guy was a member of XYZ group, would you believe it? For most Americans, the answer is no. Nothing in this world is believable anymore, and virtually nothing can be done to change that in the immediate future. Since that is the case, any attack, which we are certainly imminent of right now, is going to be looked at from two separate viewpoints. For instance, if 9-11 were to happen today, what percentage of the country would believe who did it? Probably about half. During the 9-11 attacks, public approval of George W. Bush was never higher, after his speech at Ground Zero, Democrats and Republicans alike were behind him and his military actions all the way. Right now, that would not happen. Even a 9-11 style terror attack cannot unite this country right now. It will only serve as a catalyst for even more division. And every terror group in the world knows that. 
Number five, the quote-unquote betrayal of the Republican Party will be a huge factor. An unknown but significant number of people, probably tens of millions of people, who were pro-Republican yesterday will probably not be so anymore after what the Republican politicians in Congress did yesterday. When Trump got elected in 2016, the liberal left and liberals in Congress became a united front. They got stronger when their opponent got elected. I even won a bet on election day because I bet that some member of Congress will threaten impeachment on election day, and I was right. But look at what happened yesterday. Republicans bowed to the mob. They did not unite against Biden, but dropped their objections altogether and went overboard in condemning all of what happened yesterday, even the peaceful stuff. In other words, no Republican politician, no politician anywhere that we have seen, has said, hey, I'm legally obligated to condemn the violence, but I kind of see where they're coming from. They're upset. Doesn't justify it, but it kind of explains it. Whereas when Trump was elected, Democrats were threatening to kill him. <laughs> so what's the deal? Are American Republican leaders that much weaker than their Democrat counterparts? We think no. Uh, we think that what we saw, one party giving in, even when the angry mob outside was on their side, this is reminiscent of a totalitarian regime taking hold. Now, we know that throwing that T-word around is not really the political thing to do, and it's kind of overboard, but let's be honest here. Not that many people objected when a certain political party took the majority of the Weimar Republic, or in Rwanda, or in East Germany, or in South Africa, or the USSR. Every time a major totalitarian system takes over, their public opposition doesn't get stronger, it disappears. So we think that the Republican politicians seeming to roll over, it's not so much a sign of cowardice, so much as it is a hint of something far more sinister. Now we gotta reel things back and say that we do not know if a Biden-controlled executive branch, legislative branch, and judicial branch will result in totalitarianism. But Republican leadership's actions yesterday indicate to us that at least they might think that. In any case, nothing really changes for us, and probably most of you as well. We've been preparing for a totalitarian regime for years. And last year was a great training exercise for us and a wake-up call for a lot of other people. Number six is the people might unite. Now that all three branches of government and most of the big companies and uh, communications platforms in the world have publicly and obviously become what many people have been saying for years, some people might actually wake up and smell the roses. Maybe. Either way, we aren't counting on the American people to do the right thing and realize what's going on, but we do think it is likely that since now there is a united front, people don't have to choose between liking Trump but hating, say, the ATF. And now there's at least one concentrated adversary for at least half of America. All three branches of government, their state governors and legislatures, and all of social media and mainstream media. Now, at least half of America has the opportunity to get on the same page with the United Front. And finally, alternative infrastructure will take hold now more than ever. Everything from social media to food supply routes will change. Here's the thing about totalitarianism. If this is what we're dealing with, or if something totalitarianism-esque 
what a word. If something like that is what's going to happen in America over the next few days, weeks, months, years, it only works if you can control all of the people totally. If you can't get everyone, every single person under your control, your system will eventually fail. Such is the case with social media. Now, more than ever, people are jumping ship from platforms like Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And those that aren't voluntarily leaving are being pushed out. Sure, it's not the majority of people. It might not even be enough people to make a difference quickly enough. But it sure as heck isn't a small number. And this sentiment isn't just true with social media, but all communications. Even things like economics are reaching out and creating their own infrastructure. Today, Bitcoin surpassed $40,000 for the first time in history. Now, whether that's a good sign or not is something that economists and dudes on Reddit will argue about till the end of time. But what's fascinating to us is that Bitcoin even exists in the first place. The fact that a financial infrastructure, independent of any government, not only exists but has staying power, that alone is remarkable. And the same idea is true of the technology sector as well. As much technology has been created to oppress and terrorize humanity, an equal amount has been created for the good of mankind. It is the latter that we are investing our time and efforts in, and we encourage others to do the same. And that's what we would like to end on. Right now, things aren't looking super hot for our future, and we agree, we're not going to sugarcoat things. But as long as there is one person out there that is willing to do what's right, we are willing to continue doing good things on our end. That's our pledge to you guys and gals out there. And we hope that this sentiment can be echoed far and wide by others who band together to make our nation and our people strong again. Even though things in the United States right now seem like they have not been bleaker, right now there are people all over the world rooting for us. From Southeast Asia to Europe, people are cheering for the United States right now. Like it or not, and despite all of its faults, our nation is still a shining beacon of freedom in the world. Think about that for a second. We owe it not only to ourselves, our children, and our nation to continue doing what's right, but we also owe it to every other person on earth. So let's do just that. Let's do the right thing. Improve ourselves physically, mentally, spiritually, educationally, tactically, and technically. Let's be the adults in the room, even if most people on all sides do not want to be. And let us never forget, even though it's easier said than done, it's still better to be peaceful than harmless. So whatever it was that happened yesterday, let's learn from it. Let's take notes. And let's move forward in every way that we can. And even though we might have to fight things from the shade for a while, with good company, the shade is not such a bad place to be. So stay safe out there, everyone, and we'll see you next time. As to actual out.